0: We often equate improvisation with team sports like basketball or soccer, right? You you have these underpinning rules, but you also have to be completely present. You can't be anywhere but the present moment.
1: Yeah, it gets your heartbeat going, right? Like you're trying to figure out what's that next note that I'm gonna make that all that stuff right. (laughs) It's amazing.
0: It does take you back to childhood, in many ways, right? And uh, that's lovely.
1: (laughs) I'm hopeful that we can shift towards seeing each other as people and being aware of, you know, our our challenges and limitations and the beauty that we all bring with our unique perspectives.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Theatre at Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb.
3: And my name is Anna Aguilera. Today's improv is with Teresa Robbins-Dudeck and Joel Vinstra. Teresa robbins Dudek is a theatre scholar practitioner with expertise in
2: improvisation and applied improvisation. She works globally in both professional and academic settings, applying the power of improv to pedagogy, leadership, teamwork, collaborative creation and social change. Dr. Dudek was a recent U.S. Fulbright scholar in Brazil and is considered one of the foremost teachers of Keith Johnston's Impro System. She wrote the critically acclaimed Keith Johnston, a critical biography, and is the co-editor of two books on applied improvisation published by Muthson Drama, Applied Improvisation, Leading, Collaborating and Creating Beyond the Theatre and the Implied Improvisation Mindset, Tools for Transforming Organizations and Communities. Teresa is also co-director, executive producer of the YouTube docuseries On Keith, Artists Speak on Johnston and Impro.
3: Joel Vinstra is a professional stage manager, production manager, producer, and improviser. He stage manages large-scale celebrity galas, including the Legacy Awards, honoring numerous A-list luminaries, and also serves as the University of California's Claire Trevor School of the Arts Drama Department Associate Chair of Production. In addition to being an Actors' Equity Association stage manager, Joel also serves as a production manager, producer, and improviser. He is an interdisciplinary expert in the management of productions, resources, and people, all through a lens of improvisation. Since the start of the pandemic, he has worked and consulted on over 37 remote Produced live and video produced projects. In 2017, Vines and Theresa launched the Global Improvisation Initiative, GII, symposium at UCI in conjunction with Chapman University. Hello, guys, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks hey, for having me. Thanks us. so much for
1: having me. Yes, <laughs> jinx. <laughs> so happy to be here
2: what an amazing I mean I don't know who to start with because you have wonderful and interesting fascinating roles and in a, in very different ways surrounding improvisation I believe so maybe we'll start with you Teresa in terms of how did you I mean obviously this has become quite an academic practice for you but how did you get started in in improvisation
0: oh my goodness um well, I, you know, I'm a theater major. I, w- I majored in theater throughout uh, undergrad and and, and and in my master's and PhD program. I think I first fell in love with improvisation when I studied with Avery Schreiber, who was uh, a fantastic teacher, performer, one of the original Second City company members. And I, I just really fell in love with it, with him. And then one day uh I my theater company um in Manhattan Beach, my choreographer came up to me with a copy of Keith Johnstone's book, Impro and handed it to me and said, You know, if you you have to read this. And so that kind of changed the trajectory. Once I read Pete Johnstone's Impro, it changed it kind of changed my life and i I had to seek this this man out, and I did and started studying with him and researching about him, and eventually did my dissertation on him, my master's thesis on him, and then the biography and Now I'm his literary executor, but that you know he that guided my path and became my research focus also for me, I'm just such a perfectionist, so improvisation was a way out of that in a way because in, in improvisation we talk about failing, right, the right to fail and treating mistakes like gifts and opportunities. And that was hard for me. So but it was also very freeing for me to have that that to have this, the space where I could fail and use that you know, use those mistakes and, and let them take me on a wonderful journey. So yeah, it's been, it's been a great journey.
2: <laughs> it's amazing. I want to ask because I think maybe some people who are our listeners around the globe may not know what impro is. Could you sort of give a basic de- definition of what it means, improvisation? It might be a hard thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Improvisation is, uh well, it's Joel, <laughs> Wait,
1: yeah. it's yeah. It's, it's I mean, it's it's sometimes hard to define because it's kind of an amorphous thing. But I, I, mean, yeah. I mean, for me, the essence is doing what you can with what you have in this present moment, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like uh, like stage manager or stage management or within theater where you're you're crafting something with what you have or the players or participants or collaborators you have in that moment, and it's live. So at any given moment, things could adjust and unexpected things could happen so that what you have is always kind of adjusting within kind of where you're at and what you're experiencing.
0: And it's grounded in, in theory. And, and there are, uh, flexible rules that, that guide the process. Um, but there has to be a balance between that structure and the spontaneity for it to really work. If there's too much, if there's, if the, if the rules are too dogmatic um then you lose the spontaneity right and if there's too much spontaneity and not a, enough structure in theory then it becomes kind of chaos so finding that balance is key i mean like i we often equate improvisation with team sports like basketball or soccer right you 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 have these underpinning rules but you also have to be completely present you can't be anywhere but the present moment and you know, you embody all of those techniques and through practice, um, you learn how to become a better improviser and then you can, you can uh, create and be spontaneous with your fellow players.
3: And maybe it's a very technical question, but you usually don't have a script. Do you have selected props, set? How do you interact with the rest of the, the gang? Well,
0: it, you know, it depends. I mean, if you're a Viola, in Viola Spolin's world, although she, she sometimes likes a full stage of props too to pick from depending if she's working with children or not. Viola Spolin is um, one of the, the two big pioneers of improvisation, Keith Johnstone being the other. And, and some improvisation uh, uh, companies and teams like to have an empty stage with a few bent wood chairs, right? And that's it. And then they create space objects. Everything is created from the imagination and from, from, from the, the, the minds of the players. If you're in a Keith Johnstone kind of setting, he, he likes to have a full stage of props and hats and canes and a, and a, and a sofa that has a hole cut out in the back that so people could be sucked through, right? <laughs> and pulled into another universe. So it really depends on the style of, uh, the teams. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's all different aesthetic choices, right, in terms of what you do. So sometimes folks want nothing on stage and just creating in that spontaneous space. And some people want a lot of things because then your spontaneous space can pull from all these different things. And kind of like your mindset of, uh, you know, opportunities, we have this kind of existential openness based on, you know, what's at hand in our minds or on stage. It's, it's, rel- it's very exciting.
2: I'm interested, Joel, because you said that there was some parallels between stage management and and improvisation in the fact that stage managers kind of improvise with the tools they have at hand, and maybe you do that on stage. I've never really thought about it that way. But is that what drew you to improvisation? Um, What what got you into that?
1: Yeah, for me it was – I saw. I was interested in theater when I was very young, so I was excited about that. And I, I got more interested in theater before I, I discovered stage management. And then, then I saw the, this group of performers that came to our town, and uh, they did an improvisational set. And I thought, this is unbelievable. They are making this up on the spot. They are creating this thing. It's not like a script that they've rehearsed. They literally have never done this before. And, and I, it's kind of parallel to Teresa that there is this kind of openness of of Something that that meant a lot to me in terms of that that openness to being very present in what's happening in this moment. And kind of rather than getting so locked up in the kind of kind of perspective or framework that that, that was preset, there was just kind of this wide open uh landscape that you could build on. And then, you know, I followed up and explored that and I kind of went a slightly different route. I went through the Chicago route uh, where Val was as kind of her kind of Mecca with the second city there, and, and went through that platform. I got a chance to study with her son Paul Sills was one of the directors of the Second City and and kind of went through all that framework and kind of was exploring, like, what do I want to do with my life? And and eventually realized that my passion for organizational structure lended itself towards stage management in that framework. And, And yet that aspect of how within live theater, you know, Somebody could say their lines slightly different. They could slightly have a different energy. The audience could be a different sort of reaction that you maybe need to hold a cue or hold a kind of a placement for how things go. Or, you know, if something doesn't go quite as expected, you kind of always need to be in this present sense of, you know, how might we need to adjust within this moment? That again kind of aligns with kind of this other aspect of myself. Again, the kind of organizational structure side, but also kind of this fluid fluid side that um, is exciting and, and. you know, it brings a lot of energy to me in terms of how I do my work.
2: So all stage managers need to get out there and get on stage and do some improv. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I like the idea of it, you know. I think, you know, what you were saying, Teresa, the, 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 the freedom of being able to be put on the spot and to see if you can survive, I guess, on, on, on stage with coming up with something that's actually, actually entertaining. There's an attractiveness about that, I think.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's this, also this idea of going places where you wouldn't go in in normal life, right? It's a, it's, it's like the fairy tales, we go into the dark forest, we talk about meeting the monster, you know, engaging with the monster and um, things that we, you know, we, we have to keep ourselves safe in the real world. But in the theater space, in an improvisation space, it's, we say it's a safe space not to play it safe, right? There's, we can go into the cave and meet the monsters and, and enter our imaginations. It's, it's, it, is, um, it does take you back to childhood in many ways, right? And uh, that's lovely. <laughs> I, was ju-
2: I was just thinking as you said that, though, because I'm often having to improvise when I tell, my sto- tell t- stories to my children, right? So I don't always read oh, the yeah. book. Like, I will sit there and they'll like, make up a story, Mom. <laughs> so I'm
0: like, yeah
2: my husband's always laughing he's like where are you coming up with this stuff but I read a lot of like Enid Blyton and and sort of fairy tale books when I was a kid so I I yeah. it's very easy to build a narrative along the same lines of something like that but just with different characters or in yeah. places that they know or you know and uh yeah it's it, it's it is improvisation in a sense I guess
1: Totally, we're improvising
0: it, all the time, <laughs> yeah.
1: Y- yeah, this, this all right now is is a bit of improvisation, and we're pulling off. Of, I mean, kind of like within Keith's work, that he has this off stage boxes of you know different props and scenic elements. That's our mind, right? And our subconscious kind of interweaves these things all together. So, at any given moment, we're constantly engaging in buildings, whether we're telling a story to our kids because I, I totally do that as well and kind of I'm just pulling off from various things, or you know, if we're engaging with somebody, you know, in a difficult conversation, like, you know, if you have to adjust, you know, something that's happening on stage within a stage management, if you want to have to talk to an artist about, you know, the ways that, you know, you're trying to realign them to keeping the original artistic intention, you're you're pulling off from all these different things and knowledge and skill sets and kind of tactics to help try to accomplish that goal or get to that narrative end. And it's it's not necessarily within improvisation, the, the goal doesn't have to necessarily be entertainment but it can it can be or or certainly comedy sometimes people confuse improvisation as only being comedy but it's about kind of building these skill sets that then can be utilized in a wide variety of different ways kind of like doing exercises or working out you know you're building these skills that then you can apply to different frameworks
3: i remember the first time i saw improv i was very surprised of the amount of knowledge that person had and how flexible and able he was to pull it and reorganize it to tell a different story and still be funny. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so that's all the training that, that that improviser has probably been engaged with over time, learning things like story structure, how to inspire your partner, uh, reincorporating ideas, building on each other's offers. Like All of this are sort of the underpinning philosophies and principles of improvisation that we just embody. And then that allows you to be free on stage and create because you you know how to do it, right? You know when your partner gives you an offer, you're gonna take it, you're gonna incorporate it, you're gonna build on it. You know how to, you know, uh circle of probability, how to engage an audience so that they they are they are traveling along with you in the story. So on stage it looks almost like magic. But I guarantee if they're that good and you can't believe it, they've been, they work out a lot in the gym, <laughs> in the impro gym, right? <laughs>
3: yeah. I'm yeah. sure they do. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so how did you two know each other, meet and collaborate to begin the Global Impro Initiative?
1: It was, 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 I remember this because I think it's kind of funny. So I uh, had organized a comedy festival at at University of California, Irvine. Uh, And, you know, I'm constantly looking at kind of collaborators, people that we can bring in together, you know, and trying to expose my students and the broader community around Irvine and and Southern California to the best of the best. So we bring people down from L.A. We've flown people in uh, from various places around the country. And I really try to keep a balance in terms of different comedy styles. and I, I collaborate with my students in a student group called Improv Revolution to help organize this. We've been doing it for a number of years. And and we try to keep a balance in terms of different approaches to improvisation and different comedy frameworks. And I was like, you know, I want to make I'm so much a Chicago kind of wireless full in framework. And I've done some workshops with Keith Johnstone as well. But I. I wasn't a, I w- wouldn't consider myself an expert at that. And so I was like, who are the experts? Who are the people that really know about this work? And then I, I found Teresa's name and she was at Chapman University. That's literally like about less than a you know, 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes away from where we we're at. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna email her and see, would you be willing to come to this festival and do a workshop or something or kind of share some knowledge? And she said, yes, which was awesome. That's a great improvisational <laughs> trait. Uh, you say yes to things uh, and then doors open to you. And so she came over and did a workshop, and it was fantastic. Everyone raved about it. All the students thought, wow, this is really incredible work. And they got to know about kind of a really kind of based in Johnstone kind of methodology to improvisation. And then I said, oh my gosh, I need to keep talking to this person. And so we (laughs) got together a number of times and just kind of, you know, chat about ideas and bat around, you know, concepts and. I mean I'm sure you've experienced this before when you've met somebody that is in your craft or your field and then just kind of you sync with them and you're like on the same wavelength. I mean, it's a magical thing and so uh that was that moment and then we said, you know, we looked at the the, the nature of the field and we're like we how do we keep this moving forward uh in some ways because uh some of some of the work is really grounded in in philosophy and thinking about the concepts behind it. Some of it is very much just kind of craftsmanship where one person just teaches the next person the next thing and it's not really wrestled with in terms of kind of the, the theory behind it but we are very much interested in the theory and kind of the, the kind of deeper level for the longevity of the, the craft we thought maybe we should start some sort of organization or some way that people could get together and, and you know chat about this that are interested on this kind of a deeper level both for, for, to both honor the past but also look forward to the the future in terms of how we're going to evolve this art form because it's been around for you know not a long time, I mean, literally a lifetime of sorts.
0: Well, yeah, and contemporary improvisation, you know, has been uh, around not as long, but this this is an old form. It goes back to Commedia dell'arte. I mean, this this is where I, of course, Johnstone was pulling his many of his methods and ideas and on status and all of these other things. And I wanna say also, Joel and I both being in academia, I think there's been this constant sort of battle, at least I feel like it, trying to legitimize improvisation as part of a theatrical process. I mean, there are great actors like Jonathan Price and, uh, you know, in, uh, we have uh, people here on Broadway, uh, Lynn Manuel Brand is now doing, right? Um, improvisation musicals. And it just seems like in traditional, Um, at least here in the United States in traditional theater training, it it seemed like improvisation was often something separate from serious actor training. And, and we were just like, our minds are blown because we understand how important this tool is for actors and, and for directors and for stage managers and for writers. I mean, Mark Ravenhill, he said he wouldn't be a writer without Keith Johnstone's, methods on narrative skills right so there's a lot of writers too that are tapping into so i think that was also both of us were passionate about you know integrating improvisation into theater training for actors and not just being that funny thing that the kids do on friday night <laughs> you know after a p- couple of drinks i mean that's it can be that too but there's also a really profound it's a profound method of training and it can help you in life as well, which we might yeah, get it, to. Yeah,
2: it's very it's very interesting that you that you say because it it would seem to me that it's part of an actor's toolkit. You know, the, an improvisation oh, yeah. sector. You know, I Thank remember <laughs> when um, I used to show call the Beatles show in Vegas, Love, and they had. There's okay. only one person that speaks in that show, Mister um, Piggy. And he has a whole script that he has oh. that he speaks throughout the show. But there was in the first two years of the show when you've got that much automation, things stop, right? And he be- he was always wearing an ear, and he would ha- he would be my go to go to guy. And I tell you, that guy could. Do a monologue for ten minutes if I needed him to on yes. the most absurd things. And get, I mean, he knew his subject matter. He knew he knew um, he was British and he knew English history and he knew all about the Beatles. But he'd he'd be playing this character. He'd start talking about his wife and he would do his thing. And I was I was just like yeah. so amazed every day. I was like, how does it? Not only is he sitting there talking to two thousand people off the cuff. <laughs> But he's also listening to me going, sorry, Lincoln, we need another two minutes. The lift still isn't moving. Can you keep going? And he just, like, give me a little nod and keep going. And I was just astounded. And I just there's just not many yeah. people I know that could so comfortably stand in front of 2,000 people and talk absolute BS for, like, 10 minutes. It was so, uh, so incredible. I mean, I really, and I yeah. think that's, that's a, just something that is so useful in the in the
1: theatrical yeah. class yeah. totally sure. totally and I, I think some of that is natural ability right certainly he, he had that ability kind of in, in in the aid of himself but I would dare say like early on in his career probably did have that capacity right like it's still kind of something that you build over time in terms of both being able to access those points and then also kind of that comfort level to be where you are standing in front of 2,000 people like that's pretty epic and and so there's Kind of the, both these elements that come to the table in this process of like what do you have in innate in within yourself, but then also kind of how do you build those skills uh and that I think are necessary, like you're noting you know within the theatrical practice or again within you know ourselves in, in in life. I myself was really anxious talking in front of people uh earlier on in my life and and now I'm very comfortable with it because I've just kind of continually done it, and it was not comfortable. But it's the process of doing it again and again, kind of like lifting a large weight. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And then you get a larger weight. And then you lift that up until it gets a little bit easy. And then you get to a larger weight. And it's just the process of building these skills that kind of helps you on the journey of of talking or sharing or standing up and doing that amazing feat of negotiating in the air and audience and all this amazing thing.
3: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you made me think of Martin. He was also, but he did it without words, right? Because he's a clown and but he would be so good at just interacting with the audience and the rest of the performers and keep the show going and yeah he he's really good um it makes me wonder how does it relate to improvisation in music do you guys know
0: I mean, th- there's similarities, certainly, especially in jazz and that idea of finding the groove, you know, and, and improvising on a theme or around a theme or a structure. So I think, and I think uh, uh, in fact, I have quite a few uh, friends who are musicians and also improvisers. Right? I think there's, there's a correlation there, um, especially with jazz, you know, improvisation. So, Joel, you were going to add something.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, I think all forms of improvisation, whether it's dance or or uh, public speaking, like uh, Toastmasters or music, uh, I think ha- share these similar skill sets of trying to be. It, it, this is my, my my framing of it. Keith's slightly different. Different people have slightly different. But my framing, built on my partner's uh, work as a as a therapist and kind of doing their uh, dissertation on, on therapy, improvisation as a therapeutic model it starts on kind of these three core elements first being present. So you have to be very listening to what's happening in the moment, giving what's going to be. And I think that's any discipline, you know, musicians that are improvising together in jazz or any sort of things, they need to be very much listening to what's happening in the moment, what other offers are being out there. Uh, they need to be accepting of, of the different notes rather than kind of uh, playing a, a melody and then kind of wanting to shift that to their own melody. It's kind of a shifting with what's played before. Uh, I forget which. There's a, a musician that has this wonderful phrase, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it, and I'm not going to give you the person who quoted it, so you're going to have to look it up. But the essence of it is the mistake is not the wrong note that you play. The mistake is how, what note you play next, so your response to the no, the wrong note, right? So rather than kind of getting caught up in, oh, I played the wrong note, it's how you respond or how you react or how you kind of engage with that next note that makes the note right or wrong. So uh that kind of acceptance with kind of what just happened and kind of rolling with it or, or kind of building on that and adding your own thing and this element of trusting where we trust one another to give and take and listen and, and kind of engage with one another to create something in the moment and, and that is you know interconnected between people but also within a space or within the different offerings of what's happening in the moment or our audience or even just the process itself and kind of this trust that there's going to be a, a greater good or framework for us to move forward even when things seem like they're challenging or difficult, or we have to create spontaneously in front of 2,000 people with an earpiece in and somebody saying, hold, please, keep going, keep going.
0: So let me tell you about my family.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. It was yeah. Miles Davis. Miles Lovely. Davis. Thank you. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. That's
1: great. That's great. It's a great quote.
3: It's not the note you play that's the wrong note. It's the note you play afterwards that makes it right or wrong. He also has one, one. yeah. He has another one that says, There are no wrong notes, yeah, in jazz, only notes in the wrong places.
0: I
2: Ah. love it. (laughs) Oh, I like that one as well. Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. that's lovely, and that just reminds me of taking care of your partner, too, right? That idea, like, okay, so my partner played a note I wasn't expecting. Um, that's, okay, I'm going to harness that uncertainty and go with it, right? It's, it's that unexpected curveball. And I think improvisers are really good at that, you know, taking the unexpected, uh, the unanticipated and doing something magical with it. And now a moment
2: for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools, from the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages, working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. And I think your, what you mentioned, Joel, in terms of being present, and I think that's what's so um, invigorating perhaps about improvisation is how present you have to be. Like you can't check out at any point because you would disengage from, you know, because if you're just reciting your lines on stage or whatever, you might just, in, in a scripted show, there, it's much harder to stay present and and everybody feels much more alive when they're present right when you when they're actually in the moment and they're engaged with the people around them and i think for me in my watching of improvisation that's the feeling that it evokes with me you have to be right there to react to whatever's happening around you to continue that narrative and that's quite electrifying i guess
1: yes and i think it's somewhat similar to to circ shows right because there's this performance element and this risk element that like everyone like stages could disappear or various things could adjust. <laughs> everyone has to be present to both what they're doing in the moment, whether they're flying through the air or what's happening with their scenery, that, like, everyone needs to be very much engaged. So there's a similar alignment.
2: Oh, absolutely. You cannot check out at any point because it suddenly becomes dangerous. And 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 I was sort of thinking about our band when in Macau because we used to, they used to improvise a lot when, again, in the show substitutions situations because you're always, Faced with these situations, and we had this joke that we were going to release a showstop album because they proposed <laughs> so much. It was like this whole other soundtrack that we have. <laughs> like, because obviously, they where depending on where we stop, they have to go with the energy of the show, right? So that's like improvisation. Yeah. They're going, okay, well, we can't mm-hmm. go into this melodic piece. We're in the middle of this motorbike act like we're right. going right. to stay on the on the genre of music that we're playing and it was again i'm, I'm i think i've always been surrounded by people that are amazing improviser, improvisers mm-hmm. and i think it's just i'm always in such admiration because it, it takes that talent and presence and readiness to jump into um keeping things entertained when
0: when things are going when i'm trying to fix things that are going wrong <laughs>
1: Right,
0: right. Yeah, but you're that's improvising awesome. too when things are going right. I mean, you're you're balancing yourself amidst this chaos, mm. right? You're finding that instead of you're not going crazy yourself, right? You're you're finding a nice balance so that you can solve the problems.
2: Yeah, you're making, you make and that's what
0: improvisers.
2: Do. Right, you make yeah, yeah. You're making decisions on the fly as you as you try and get the show back on track. Exactly. And, and over time, you develop a routine of how to deal with that. But in the first few years, there's, there is no expected problems. You just discover them as you go. And that's, and I, right. for me, I love that period because I just feel like, mm. apart from the fact that it's, you know, you've got to try and keep everybody safe and everything. But um, I love that unexpected, you know, dealing with, okay, what do we do now in front of 2,000 people? that's going to yeah. okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it gets your heartbeat going right? like mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out what's that next note that I'm gonna make that all that stuff right <laughs>
2: yeah it's amazing absolutely. yeah no, it's amazing, so going back to your globally improv initiative, how do people engage in the organization and 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 what do you guys do, and how could people be involved?
1: Well, we have a couple different options, right so for since two thousand and seventeen, we've been doing uh an annual symposium every two years. Uh, our first one was in Southern California and then we had one in London and then we had one online because of the nature of the pandemic world. Uh, and so we, you know, we always invite people to come and participate to that. Typically we've uh put out calls for people to do proposals in terms of if they want to do workshops or presentations or performances, and uh, you know, really tried to kind of mix up the stew of different ideas and concepts so people could come and be invigorated and energized and it's been great to see that grow over time. Our first one was a little under 200. Our second one was a little over 200 folks participating. And this last one, we had over 600 people from all around the world come and participate and share what they were doing, and it was tremendous. Like to see so many different uh, ideas and concepts coming together and cross pollinating and, and exciting one another. We also have an online Facebook group. Uh, we have a website that folks can find out some information. On, and we're also uh, working on building a online uh, library of our content from our previous conferences that folks can potentially access and being cataloged at the University of California, Irvine's library. And uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a slow process uh, because, you know, we're both full time and, you know, engaging with all of our things and family and et cetera. Uh, but and and it's all essentially nonprofit. Uh, one of the things that we're also very proud of in terms of our symposiums is we've tried to keep it very accessible for all people on on all different price points uh, and levels, including I mean our last one I, I was was entirely free, and so it was our first one. And so you know, trying to create as much points of access for folks as possible, so that you know th- there's no sort of limitations or barriers in terms of people being engaged. We also Really prioritize accessibility and diversity within our our things, so we had even some transcriptionists and and closed ca- live closed captionist people you know in our last conference as well so yeah that those are kind of our our kind of key key areas that we're kind of trying to engage our audiences uh, and we'll continue to kind of brainstorm and it is a very much a collaborative effort, so if we have other collaborators that have come along like improbable who who've joined us and been a big team supporters in based out of London. They're a theater company that does all of their work through the improv methodology, uh, including in a number of opera houses all throughout the world. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll work with, who, who, you know, folks that want to see the vision and kind of want to work with us in terms of building and growing and collaborating.
0: Yeah, and I would say what, what, what's really nice about the GII is that we do have an academic rigor um, that you may not get from other improvisation festivals. So we do get a lot of scholars who are writing about this work, who are publishing, you know, books and articles about this work from all over the world. that come to present their research. Um, and then we have the embodied workshops. And, and I mean, the, I know, for example, in the London, at the London Symposium, we had quite a few dance professionals and dance researchers bringing their work in improvisation. So, that cross-pollinating really was, is, is lovely with this symposium, which you don't always get with improv festivals that happen. You know, those are usually teams of improvisers come and they compete and it's comedy and it's fun and it's great. But this, this definitely has a different kind of deep academic rigor and also that idea of theatrical improvisation, exploring the depth of this work, the, the, um, the kind of theater, the, the kind of profound theater that can be created using improv methods, theories, tools, and so forth. So I think that's, I, and that was kind of our goal from the beginning is like you said, Joel, is to sort of raise the level of this work or to at least expand people's knowledge of what improvisation was all about.
1: For some people, like oh, academic—that's dry. Like that's not really interesting. But every time we've engaged students, uh, you know, and young people as well within the, these conferences and these symposiums that we've had, and every time they've just been like, "This is amazing. We love this." Right. So, like, sometimes people think academic, academic dry or like scholarly dry, but uh, it, it, it's it's active and, and engaging on multiple levels. Uh, so,
2: I—I I was just going to say, I think it's actually really. To your point, Teresa, just the recording and the the this officializing of this as a, a form of art uh, art um, yeah. or practice is is it's important to stay in the academic realm. If it's just happening in bars and clubs and it's not being written down, then where does the right. evolution of improvisation go? So, uh, and I think that that's probably a generic net that should be cast over any kind of arts really everything needs Mm -hmm. to be connected to academia if you're going to have an accurate record of the evolution yeah problem is that things move so fast these days it's really hard to keep up (laughs) Um,
1: oh my goodness
2: especially with technology and things like that it's just we're, we're chasing it rather than being at the forefront sometimes i i wonder so on on that context in terms of you know recording it and 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 developing it what do you both see as any kind of future iterations of improvisation? Do you see any trends of where this would, you know, either become part of the curriculums in university or become more formalised across the globe? Or what are you seeing within within the network that you have?
0: Well, I guess I can kind of speak to that with, um, and, and Joel is also involved in, in applied improvisation. Um, and what's interesting is that we're seeing improvisation courses being uh, included in curriculum in business and engineering and sciences like across you know across the university uh, more so almost than in theater programs which is like but this is where it's rooted in the theater so that's another one of our you know goals is to get it back into the theater and get implied applied improvisation, which is being used in corporate training, education fields and leadership training and community engagement, all these different ways, you know, show theater majors that this is, this is a viable career path to be an applied improvisation facilitator, to use these tools in whatever career you end up being in. So, so we are seeing that happen uh, more and more which is really exciting. <laughs> you can go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, great.
1: I'll take the ball. That's fantastic. Take it, take uh, so it, here. I will. Uh, <laughs> over the last, uh, you know, since we started this, there's just been an exponential growth in terms of articles that have been published in terms of this work and, and uh, applied improvisation. So we're kind of, a, you know, keeping up with that trend and kind of helping to motivate and inspire that in some ways, uh, which is like super exciting. And I think the other kind of, so so one thing is just kind of the, the growth of improvisation and kind of the validation, there's also been, as we kind of are building this platform of, you know, people respecting this work in a slightly different academic framework, or kind of thinking about a different framework. There's people that are actually starting to research and try to have some validated, besides just the qualitative studies of people saying, oh, this work is amazing. I love it. It's great for theater making. It's great for life. There's people actually making quantitative research as well in terms of seeing how it can help people to lower stress levels and be more actively present in the world, which is exciting to have that kind of data set that's been shared at some of these events. There's an organization called the Applied Improvisation Network that is a great organization that kind of the sister organization to what we do. And Teresa and I have been engaged with them in, in many levels. And, and they also have been exploring kind of, we've all kind of raised the bar in many levels. The other major thing besides all this growth, which is my essential point is that this whole pandemic has, has dramatically changed the landscape of improvisation in, in several different ways in terms of business models, but in terms of access and online performance, which some folks have done in really interesting ways. There's also been a major within the US and and likely other places, people have uh, been exploring this racial reconciliation and kind of disbalancements in terms of equity and inclusion within our, the theater spaces, within improvisational spaces, which historically have been very white and have been very male centric. And so uh, there's been a, a minimal push in those directions or, or uh, performative pushes towards those directions. But there's been some really dramatic shifts in the last couple of years where essentially artists are calling each other out and saying, is what we're doing actually making change? Are we actually being inclusive spaces or are we just kind of seeming like we're inclusive spaces? And so like, like you said, I mean, trying to keep up with all of the seismic shifts that have happened over in the just last couple of years, has been uh, incredibly hard. And, and again, we're trying to document and kind of put some pins in it so that, you know, as people look back, I mean, in, in just a few years since we've met one another and worked with each other, Teresa and I, uh, we've had a number of kind of the people that are foundational to the start of this work in its formalized, codified kind of performative framework have passed on. And there's that that adage of when somebody passes away, the library burns down, right? And that there's that element of like us losing all of this, tremendous information if we don't try to document it some way or kind of put pins in it of you know what it is Uh, and so that's that's what we're trying to do and trying to keep up with it
3: (laughs) so how would you mention a little bit of this but could could you elaborate on how would i as a quote-unquote normal person or a technician if you will (laughs) would benefit from learning improv
0: So, I mean, one of the, we talk about, you're building these muscles, but you're also building a mindset, right? An uh, improvisation mindset, which allows you to, you know, be present, pay attention to the process unfolding, external focus, taking care of your partner, right? Uh, Being able to respond with agility, to, to fail forward, to treat mistakes like gifts, to right to see to see everything you do as a set of uh improvisational interactions to be to have the ability to decode behavior better in yourself and others to to understand you know how how status works and how how responsive deep listening like all of these skills are things that improvisers great improvisers have and they and they they hone they hone these things so and this this is why, you know, corporate America has really tapped into this. And I also want to say back to what Joel was saying about this pandemic, um and having to go on zoom, I, I think our improvisation community, you know, not everybody, but a lot of them sort of like, okay, well, here we are, we're on zoom, what comes next? What do we do? What do we do with this? How do we make this work? So that that power of uncertainty and harnessing that and 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 making, you know, uh what lemonade, what do they say out of lemons or I don't know what that's
1: This is this is the, this is our chat about bad quotes. We're all slightly off, but They're making wrong. lemonade I out of lemons. I I um, it's all good. We're all kinda of a little off there. The, the approximate
0: yeah. quote
2: podcast.
1: That's right. That's what this is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the approximate quote. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's communication skills. I mean, really improvisers, when you think about what they do, they get on stage with nothing planned. You know, they do, they do work from a set of philosophies and principles and they've probably worked together with a team or their players before, but sometimes not. I mean, really good improvisers could be from two different countries and come together. And because you kind of know the rules, right? You're able to create magic on the spot by just building on each other's offers. I mean that is amazing communication. I mean you can think about all the applications beyond the theater of how that might be useful, right? You know, idea generation, design thinking, all of these ways. So it just I think I think what I often tell Joel and other people like the the, the nicest people in the world that I've ever met are are really good improvisers usually, right? They are very benevolent. It's a benevolent group of people who take care of each other. Like one of the things I always tell my students, you know, if they say, you know, did did I do a good job? Was I a good improviser? I said, well, do you did you inspire your partner? Is your did your partner enjoy working with you? Right? That's that's kind of how we operate. It's like it's unleashing your partner's imagination. So there is this external focus and benevolence in it that's built into our practice that I think could really bring peace on earth. <laughs> I don't know, it can make the world better, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and I mean, that's essentially, I mean, as a technician or a stage manager or, or, you know, you come into a situation, you come into a rehearsal, come into the start of a production, you have nothing set, right? You have ideas or generating ideas, but you kind of get all the knowledge together as you go throughout that process, kind of building within that moment. And then every, any, any given moment, things can go slightly sideways, right? I mean, it can slightly <laughs> go unexpected in terms of what's going on. So you always kind of have to adjust. So you know, as a uh, as a muggle or as a, uh, a you know normal non-improviser person, uh, you can <laughs> go into this work and kind of uh, build your skill set in terms of you know these things, and and they can help. Just only helpful be helpful beyond. I have another really poor quote that I don't. I'm not going to have a good quote <laughs> for. But here's what it is. is <laughs> There's a, a woman that we ta- I talked to at one point, uh, and she said that you'd go into a workshop with Viola Spolin and you wouldn't necessarily come out as being a uh, great actor, but you'd come out a better person, uh, right? And so there's this element of you do this work, you know, not necessarily just to go up and be funny or try to make things, but kind of this skill set that then builds you the ability to interact with humanity better I should get that person's name. If I, I'll get it before we end our talk. But uh, here is another approximate quote for us on our approximate quote, quote quote podcast.
2: I think the thing that I find that I know who people who are great improvisers have that um, comfortability in their own skin. I think that's what you are kind of leaning towards, and and the inner the ability to roll with the punches as well. And I think yep. that that is a comfortable presence presence to always be around, right? Like that's somebody that you Mm -hmm. want to be around because suddenly you know they're not going to flip out because the whole schedule changed that afternoon or the, you know, something went wrong or anything. And I I think that's from my memory of the people that I know have done improvisation, they're just really comfortable people to be around because there's no stress and they're willing to roll with the punches, as you say. They're really willing to go with it. And I think that's just a great life skill.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think yeah. they're also
0: willing not to like hold tight onto their own idea, right? It's we we love collaboration, right? So if 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 your idea inspires the group more than my idea, let's go with that. Like that's that's okay, right? Where other people are like, oh, I want, but my idea, right? I, it's, but we understand that ideas are plentiful right? They're everywhere. And we just need to find the, the the idea that inspires the group. And I think, I think a lot of writing teams are, I mean, I know Key Appeal here in America and John Oliver has improv, improvisers on his, Colbert, right? They they hire improvisers because that's that kind of working environment where you just, you just throw out ideas until something sticks and inspires the whole group, right? Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. it, and it doesn't have to be your idea. It's a collective, collective, collaborative thing. Totally. I love
1: that. There's an interesting framework within mindfulness where uh, they say suffering is resistance, right? So we don't resist. We can kind of release ourselves from this element of suffering. Mm. We're all going to have pain. We're all going to have struggle. But like the real suffering comes from resistance versus just going with the flow. And Valerie Harper was that last quote. She was amazing from Mary I love
0: Valerie Harper. (laughs) Second city. Awesome. Mm -hmm.
1: We're, getting, we're
2: becoming the not-so-approximate podcast now, now that we've been able to name who's it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, we're getting better through improvisation right now.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So we've, we, we always ask these, these uh, questions just towards the end of our podcast. So tell us a little bit, and it could be about your job, not necessarily the improvisation, but um, your favourite thing about the job and then also one thing you'd like to change about the industry. So who would like to go first?
3: You can go, Oh, you know, I gotta think great. about this. I,
2: I
0: can't fine. improvise this. <laughs> uh,
1: my my favorite thing about uh, my job right now, because I, I I teach at UC Irvine, and uh, when uh, we're we're talking about a lot of things, right? There's a lot of change in there. There's a lot of challenges, and and I think you know when we get on when we're sharing about ideas, and there's this synergy and energy in the room. Of, you know, it's kind of like when you have a show and like people are pitching out ideas, and everyone's just kind of moving forward, and that kind of I don't know the electricity in the space I think is super exciting um and so I'm excited that, you know about the the younger generation of of artists that I'm getting a chance to work with and kind of their uh excitement towards uh the future and the changes that are possible in terms of changes to the industry right i i i'm I'm hopeful that we can be a more inclusive space that inclusive on a holistic level so thinking about you know, how do we engage with each other holistically uh, and and our needs as a community of people, which is challenging because within our constructs of, of how we do our work is sometimes so based on trying to get to something quickly done exceptionally well and and kind of these ideas of perfectionism and other, other type of things. And I, I, I'm hopeful that we can shift towards seeing each other as people and being aware of, you know, our our challenges and limitations and the beauty that we all bring with our unique perspectives. I know that sounds ooey gooey, but that's where I'm at these days.
0: And I can't talk that. It's admirable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a different situation now. I'm not completely in academia anymore. Although I do teach here in Portland, Oregon at Portland state university. Um, I teach improv here, but I also, what I'm, I'm doing a lot of is, cross pollinating. So I'm working, I have an equity uh, thing I'm directing called the equity theater project where I'm working with chemistry and we're using improvisation to create scenarios based on equity and diversity. And then we're workshopping these and they they have really gone off uh, really well. And, and that's a continuing thing. And then I'm also working with like applied linguistics and speech and hearing and world literature. We're, we're, we're creating improvisation workshops for students for, for better communication. And then I do corporate training and I work with, you know, faculty on how to create an engaged classroom through using improvisation tools, how to become, um, you know, a, a better communicator leader, so forth. So I have my, I have, you know, one foot here in academia, one foot outside of academia. I still direct, I'm still, I still teach, you know, improv for actors at uh, the Actors Conservatory here, so I love really getting down into the process and into the, you know, it was it's rooted in theater and and Keith Johnstone's work, which I, I use of course a lot of, you know, his stuff came out of the Royal Court Theater. He was out of that writer, you know, he started developing his stuff, you know, when um, he was being mentored by Samuel Beckett and friends with Harold Pinter. So a lot of this stuff came out of that professional theater world. And I think what I would wish going forward is to see us all, the the improvisation community, getting back to that idea of process versus product. Because I think, and, and coming out of high schools too, right? There's this kind of, I have to often retrain improvisers that come out of programs in high school where they thought they had to be fast and funny and competitive and all of that too no let's 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 just be human beings right and connect and let's build stories and narratives and characters together um this is a process and this process can help you as a director as a writer as a human being as a stage manager all these things like it's not always about the product about being funny and and the show and the big audience that's part of it but let's i really feel like if we could get back to that you know, that creating that sacred space to not play it safe, right? And the work, that's, I want to see more of that.
1: I love the harmony of our answers. That like was an amazing answer. Melodies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
3: Where can people, you, you already talked about GII, but if people wanted to see what you do or learn more from yourselves or your different projects, uh, how can people... Um, find my more information.
0: Well, I'll, I'll go first. I have a, my website is www.theimprofessor.com. So you can kind of see everything I do on theimprofessor.com and also, um, the docu-series that I do on Keith Johnstone, that's www.onkeith.com. Www.onkeith, so that'll take you to that. And then of course we have, I think you'll, you'll have the GII, uh, Global, Global Improvisation... Improv- yeah. <laughs> globalimprovisation.com. <laughs> so those are mine. Joel?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's the that's a globalimprovisation.com is probably the best place to find out about that space. Uh I it's so funny, you put things out online and they immediately come out of date. So I've got a really poor out of date website, but I've I you can find me at, you know, the University of California Irvine or on social media things, uh, you know, if you want to find out more information. But we're so thrilled to be uh, you know host on this This is wonderful thank you
3: we're very happy to have you here it's been a wonderful uh conversation keeping us on our toes absolutely thank you so much it's been it's been wonderful i i I feel like inspired
2: to 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 be following all the improv stuff i'm gonna go watch this series of yours teresa
3: (laughs) i know i kind of want to read the books and you didn't say where to get your books but um i'm sure it's on your website
0: Well, and also just Keith Johnstone's Impro and Viola Spolin's Improvisation in the Theatre, those two are sort of the Bibles of our field. And I think, I mean, that's a great place to start. <laughs> mm. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you so much, both of you, for your time today. It's been a wonderful, joyful conversation, and um, I appreciate it. And I, I can't wait for our listeners to, to hear this one.
1: Yay! Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you.
3: We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There is a link in our podcast description where you can send us your requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcast episodes for free. If you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast notes. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live, the global media site for entertainment at www.theatreartlive.com, and you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast.